Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning again. If I didn't get to say hi to you at the beginning of the service, if you came in after the opening song, like most of you did, I now say to you, good morning. I'm glad that you made it on this cool, chilly day. And uh, we're, as Sean said, we're concluding our series that we've been going through the book of Philippians. It really is a theme of joy. And today I thought to kick us off, there'd be a question that I would like to ask you because I believe it's one of the real challenges. In fact, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we face in life is how we answer this question. And here it is. How do I enjoy the life I have when I'm always looking over the, my shoulder at the life other people have? And let's be honest, we are more aware of everyone else's life than we have ever been in the history of mankind, perhaps, because of our connectivity digitally. How do you enjoy the life you have when you're so aware of the life that others have? And what we're talking about is, in this series is, how do I find joy where I am? Not where I wish I was, not where I hope to be, not where one day I plan to be or where I thought I would be, but where you are today, with what you walked in with today, how do you find joy there? And it is impossible to find joy where you are if you're constantly looking at where others are. And this is one of those tensions because some of us, well, we have been given the gift of singleness. Some of us have been given the gift of marriage. How do I enjoy my marital status if I'm constantly looking at your marital status? How do I enjoy where my kids are or aren't if I have kids or if I don't have kids and I'm constantly looking at where you are versus where I am? Some of us feel like maybe we were shortchanged on our health or on our intellect or on our family background and it's easy to see someone who's further ahead or appears further ahead in the area we wish we were further ahead. Some people, you know who they are, they all have all the recognition, they have all the fame, and sometimes you feel like, well, I'm in that place of being more invisible and less seen. It's sort of like when you see on Instagram someone else going on this amazing adventure and they're going on like this uh, trip throughout the Australian outback and all you've done this year is go on an overnight trip to McKinney to Irwin Park and you're like, this just doesn't, feel, just doesn't feel as impressive, right? And you're thinking, well, how can I enjoy the vacation I have when I see the vacation they're having? And the truth is, this is personal for me because about a week ago I went to a pastor's conference and there were about 150 pastors there and these were great people. And the, but at the same time, there were a lot of pastors who pastor churches much larger than ours, who have platforms much bigger than ours, who are in places of more influence than ours, and frankly, they've accomplished much more than I have. And sometimes, if I'm honest, there was a little thing in me where I would see them and I would talk to them and I would go, you don't seem that impressive. Like, how'd you get there, right? If I'm honest, right? And then sometimes it would be like, wow, you're really impressive. I'll never be there, right? Like, how do I enjoy the life I have when I'm constantly looking at the life they have? I think all of us, at some point, we wrestle with, well, how do I enjoy where my kids, how they turned out? How do I enjoy where I live and, and what I have an opportunity to do, my career? And as we wrap up this series, what Paul is gonna do in this final chapter is give us one of the great passages on a theme that couldn't be more relevant, 
Today we're going to talk about contentment. Contentment. One of the most difficult things. Here's why you say, I thought this was a series on joy. Well, it is in the place of contentment where joy seems to thrive the most. And sometimes we don't find joy because we've not yet gotten to the place of contentment for where we are. We're not talking about how do you find joy when everything's right. We're saying how do you become content with where you are so that joy can grow, so that joy can fully flourish. Now, if you're new, let's be honest. If you follow Jesus or not, we all struggle with contentment, right? If you follow Jesus or not, we all struggle with comparing my life to somebody else's. We're all wrestling in this same place. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at 2,000-year-old wisdom that speaks to contentment. I believe it's more relevant than it has ever been, and I'm so grateful that we're going to look at it together today. What's fascinating, if you're new, we've been going through this book of Philippians written by a man named Paul, the apostle, who actually wrote this book while he was under house arrest. Imagine writing a book while you're imprisoned that's focused on joy. He was trying to encourage and express joy, and that's what we're looking at. And so if you've missed the series, let me catch you up in three sentences. Because in the first three weeks, we looked at these three chapters, and here were kind of the, the summary or bottom lines that we came up with. Week number one, we saw that joy is more about a who than a what. And the reality is what brings me joy, no thing brings me joy. It's more about a who than a what. Then the next week, we saw that joy is found when we leverage what we have for the benefit of others. And then last week, Pastor Isaac, who did a great job, taught us that joy is found when we focus more on Jesus than on ourselves. And so today, as we take this final chapter of Philippians, we are also coming up to our memory verse, which is found in Philippians chapter 4. And so I'm going to say it once, and then one final time, I'm going to ask you to say it with me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. This is the theme throughout the book, joy, rejoice. In fact, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Would you say that out loud with me? Say that. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so today, as we look, oh, thank you. Say that address with me, Philippians 4, 4 through 5. I love it. They're very good. So today, as we look at this final chapter together, chapter 4, we go a little further down. See, in chapter 4, Paul begins by talking about anxiety, or really starts talking about unity. A couple of uh, people that weren't getting along in the, at the church of uh, Philippi where he's writing to. He'd been there 10 years earlier, and now he's really fond of these people, and he's writing back, even though he's under house arrest, to these people at Philippi. And he starts talking about a couple of people who aren't getting along, so he starts off with unity. Then he moves to anxiety, something that's also very relevant today, and, and how to battle anxiety that many of us feel from time to time. And then he moves to this real interesting, in fact, some would say the most prolific passages on contentment in all the Bible are found right here in verses 10 through 14, these five verses that we're going to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles, open them with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look together beginning at verse 10. He's writing to these people at Philippi, and he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you had always been concerned, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
Now I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have, and would you say these next four words out loud with me? I have learned to be content. This is so important, what Paul is pointing out right out of the gate when he changes the subject in this final chapter on contentment. He uses the word content, and this is in the original language, this is the word autarkes, which is really just a word that means satisfied, to be fully sufficient and satisfied. And we all want to be satisfied, right? And he's saying, I have learned to be, this is the beauty of it, not only to be satisfied, but I love that he said, I learned to be content. In other words, I wasn't born with it, it wasn't natural, it wasn't, like you, it's easy to think that, oh, that person just has a good disposition. They've just, just, they just seem to be content. They've probably always been that way. Well, the truth is, Paul says, I have learned to be content. I am in that place of contentment, but it was a process that I went from where I was to where I am to get to the place of being content. In other words, contentment is a skill to be learned. It's not a gift that you either have or don't have. And I'm tempted to think, oh, she is so content. I wish I was like her. He is so content. I wish I had that. And Paul's saying, well, you can have that. You just got to put in the work. It's a skill that we learn. Now think about Paul. Paul was somebody who was completely transformed. Before, remember, he was somebody who was literally persecuting and in some cases authorizing, if not himself, killing Christians. And now he's at the place where he's actually writing parts of scripture that we're reading here. That's a transformation. It is a transformation to go from being a Christian killer to being a killer Christian. I worked on that one this week, but you, didn't, you don't care. I'm thinking he had a killer therapist, right, that helped him on this transformation. He had been so, but along this transformation, he learned contentment. It was part of his transformation. It was a skill that he learned. He wasn't born with it. He didn't just like go down and buy it. He did it the old-fashioned way. He had to learn this skill. And I don't know about you, but I am always tempted. When I'm in that place of being discontent or in that place where things are difficult, I keep thinking, well, I'll be content when I get out of debt. When my job gets better, when my marriage gets better, when my health gets better, when the situation changes. In other words, what I'm always tempted to think, and this is the normal way to think, this is the natural way to think, this is what Paul at one time thought. I'll be content when my circumstances change. This is what Paul at one point thought, but he said, I learned something different. I learned something better. I learned that I could be content. But sometimes, isn't it easier to think it would be it would be easier to change my circumstances than it would be to try to be content in these circumstances. But if we're serious about trying to find joy where we are, then we've got to learn contentment. We've got to learn to bring contentment into difficult circumstances. And watch the reward. But Paul says at the very end of that same verse, verse 11, he says, I'm learning that, uh, I'm, I'm saying this not because I'm in need, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances. There was a time he couldn't say that, and now he can, under house arrest. What he's saying is, contentment has nothing to do with external circumstances. This is an inward change, not an outward 
change. And I would have expected Paul to go, I'll be content when I'm set free because I shouldn't have been here to begin with. Once I'm set free, then I'll be content. Just like I would have, you know, you would probably think that too. Whatever's going difficult in your life right now, it's easy to think, well, whenever this changes, then I'll be good. But Paul says, from here, in this arrest, I am content. But I learned it. And it had nothing to do with my circumstances. But there's a lie that I tell myself that you tell yourself. And the lie is this. I need my circumstances to be better in order to be content. Some of you have even told me that at the beginning of this series, you were in a place where life was pretty good and since then some difficulties have come into your life and all of a sudden circumstances have changed and you're finding yourself struggling with joy that you hadn't struggled with a few weeks ago because you're cer- all of us are there, aren't we? Life is like that, isn't it? It's up and down, up and down, and we have family of people that we care about. Their life's up and down, like circumstances are constantly changing. And Paul says, in whatever my circumstances, I have learned to be content. And everybody here, if we're honest, we would love that experience. We would love to find that. We would love to learn that. It's what we all desire. And Paul's offering, he's wanting to teach us something, but the first thing he says is resist this lie that you and I will hear, and that is, well, I need my circumstances to be better in order to be content. And then we have a subtle way of actually softening the lie, and we say, well, I don't necessarily need my circumstances to be better, but what I do need is for my circumstances to be different. I I just need them to be different. Like, I don't necessarily need a better job, I just need a different job. I just need to not be here. I don't need it to be better. I just need only to be here. Finding joy where you are, well, well, obviously I can't hear, so I just need to be over there. And there's a subtle lie where we think, oh, I don't necessarily need better. I just need different. But it's the same lie to think that our circumstances need to change in order to have contentment. So you may be here and you may be thinking, well, man, I, I'm wrestling with some real stuff. Like, like some of you, I know you, you, you've struggled because you've lost your job. Some of you have, have a, a received a difficult diagnosis. Some of you are here have difficult relationships in your life that are broken and strained. Some of you are in financially, you're kind of in a place you didn't expect to be. Some of you are caregivers and you didn't expect to be. Some of you are struggling with your own emotional uh, struggle or within your family. And you have all these things that you carry in a place like this. You think, how can I be content here if Paul only knew and I love that Paul leans in a little bit, and he's very empathetic, because look what he says in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And Paul, you can empathize with him, because after all, Paul, well, we know a little bit of his story, and we know that he was someone who certainly struggled. After all, he decided to go like all in for God, and he began to do all these missionary trips, and as a reward for being obedient to God, you know what he got? He ended up going to places where people would reject him so much that they would kick him out of town, so much that sometimes they would physically beat him, so much that they would sometimes uh, physically even um, throw stones and attempt to kill him. Sometimes he would be in prison, and here he is under house arrest again. Certainly he could speak to what it's like to be in need, and he says, and even here, I have found contentment. And then he goes on to say, I not only know what it's like to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. And he's saying, and in both places, I have found contentment. And I think what all of us kind of lean in and go, how? Where? How do you do that? Is there a secret? 
And then he says, that's exactly what it is. Look what he says. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content. Many in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what Paul is saying, he's making this so clear, is that contentment, the thing all of us want, he says contentment thrives in all circumstances. No wonder we desire it because we're tired of being on this emotional roller coaster of up and down, good and bad, plenty and in want. And he says contentment thrives in every circumstance. Imagine if in every season of your life you could be in that place of contentment where joy could grow. Paul is saying there is a secret that you can learn a way to be in that place. But the truth is there's another lie. Not only is there a lie that says, oh, I need to be in better circumstances, there is another lie that he just reveals that I sometimes think, and I know that you do too, and that is I can't be content because I don't have enough. I I would like to be content, and Paul, it, it sounds great what you're teaching, that there's the possibility of being content, but not me because I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. You know, I just, I just can't be content here. Now, here's the way we, 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 we trick ourselves. We say, I'm just grateful for all I have. But contentment would require me to have a little bit more. And it's in the desiring of more where we think contentment is over there in the land of more that robs us of being content of where we are because we think we would be content if we were over there in the land of more. In fact, we let ourselves off the hook a little bit because we say things like, well, I would be generous. I would be willing to do more for people. I would be willing to, if I just had more whatever. Someday down the road, I will do that. I will be like that. Whenever I'm older, I will be like this. I will be like that and what we're doing is we're kind of saying what's well, a thought that counts my hands are tied I don't even have enough money to pay my own bills I sure can't give to anybody else I don't have enough time to do what I need to do I surely don't have time for anybody else and we give ourselves credit sort of in advance for our generosity that we're not actually exhibiting because we're talking about the land of more someday I will be therefore I already am generous but I can't be contentment until I actually get into the land of more. And what Paul is teaching us, whether you have plenty or whether you are in need, you can have contentment here. He's even suggesting, he's just saying, you don't need more in order to be content. And that goes against everything in our culture that tells us we need a little bit more in order to be content. And frankly, what Paul says next is really disruptive to that thinking, especially in America as we are the land of prosperity, the land of more. Look what he said in verse 12. I don't know if you caught it. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. You see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying to live in the life of plenty is not having a better vacation, having a better car, having a better home. Paul says to live in plenty is to have enough food. That's a little different than the way we would define plenty, isn't it? Because the truth is, first century plenty is 21st century poverty. 
we would define plenty very differently than the way Paul defines plenty because he says to be plenty is to be well-fed and to be in want is to be hungry. In other words, he says if you are able, if you know you can eat today, then you have plenty. And then he goes further and says, but if you can't, you can still have contentment. And that re that gives a new perspective, doesn't it? To plenty and in want. Paul is saying, I can be in the floor of a prison with an empty stomach and still have contentment. He holds on to his faith even there. You say, okay, but what's the secret, Paul? How is it that we go from no contentment to complete contentment in any circumstance? What is it? Well, it's in the next verse. But I gotta give you a warning because this next verse I think is the most powerful verse on contentment and yet it is one of the most abused verses in all the Bibles. When I say abused, I just simply mean it's constantly twisted to mean something else. And so with that said, let's see what Paul says is the secret to contentment and it is Philippians 4 and it's the 13th verse. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, even if you're not a church person, even if you're not a Bible person, you've probably heard that verse. In fact, you've probably seen it on a Facebook post or an Instagram post. You've seen it hashtag Philippians 4.13. The, the, the funny thing is most of us don't know that this is a verse that deals with contentment. It's one of the premier verses on contentment, and I find it fascinating that one of the premier verses on contentment constantly gets twist to support our own goals and in many ways our own selfishness. You say, well, how is that? Well, it's sometimes in our English translations aren't doing us any favors because many of the English translations, as you know, actually translate this to say, I can do all what? Things, yeah. Many translations say, I can do everything. And so isn't it common that you see this verse then used to promote my own personal agenda, my own personal goals, I'm celebrating my thing. I don't know how many times I see on Instagram people, unintentional for sure, but misquoting this verse and leveraging it for something Paul never intended and missing out on the real richness that he intended. And we'll use this verse to say, I'm going to the gym today, I got this, I'm pumping iron. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like, I'm tired, I got a test today, though, it's a big one. I got an interview today, man, just if you would, don't, I, I'm, I'm gonna come out on top. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or we'll say things like, look, I'm gonna dunk a basketball today, I'm only 5'2", but I believe I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hashtag Philippians 4.13, this is the verse over and over and over and over again used to fulfill our own agenda, our own personal goals. And the tragedy of it is it means something so much richer than that, so much more profound than that, so much more impactful, so much more needed than that. And you say, well, what is it that it means? Well, this is where we've got to invite our friend context to the table because it's through context that we discover what this means. Context, think about the, the, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is written by a man who's in prison, who's writing to express and encourage joy to a group of Christians. And now he, throughout this chapter, he's talked about unity, he's talked about anxiety, and now he's taken an entire paragraph just to talk about contentment. And at the end of that paragraph, on contentment, he says, and I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
In other words, it would be accurate to say in light of our series, what Paul is saying in this paragraph is so important is, I can find contentment where I am through him who gives me strength. Not I can be somewhere else than where I am. I can accomplish something else than what I have. He's saying, no, no, no. You can find contentment that will serve you in any circumstance to be content. But you can't do it on your own. You will do it in the strength of Christ. In other words, what Paul is revealing to us, if we really want to be content, is contentment is moving from self-sufficiency to Christ's sufficiency. That I am not sufficient, I will never be sufficient, but Christ is and has always been. And when I begin to trust him more, not try to accomplish more, I find contentment that I'm looking for right where I am. But there is a lie. And man, I love I, I got to be honest with you, I am always susceptible to this one. And I bet you are too. The lie I want to believe instead of Christ's sufficiency is this. If I only try harder, I'm almost there. It's right around the corner. If I can just acquire that, if I can just accomplish this, if I can just achieve this next thing, then contentment will be on the, it's just around the corner. I can smell it. It's so close. And it's all about self-sufficiency. And Paul has shifted to something else, Christ's sufficiency. And so it would be tempting now to think, well, okay, so Paul has gone where he's no longer trusting in himself, he's trusting in Christ. So that means I can just live in isolation. I don't really need to, I don't compare myself to others. I don't even need others. It's all about Christ, right? Well, actually, if you look at the next verse, it's, the answer to that is a clear no because he says to these people who are in Philippi, he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Think about these people who are in Philippi who hear about Paul who's gone around the Mediterranean and he's sharing the gospel with other people and they hear the, the, the difficulties he's gone through and now they hear that he's been for a long period of time while he's waiting trial in Caesar's court that he's been under house arrest for an extended period of time. And whatever they offer him, they offer him gifts, they, 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 they offer support, they even send people his way. They're showing incredible love to him. They're sharing in his troubles. They're not comparing their lives to someone else's success. They're, they're sharing in someone else's trouble. And this is what contentment does. Instead of comparing, contentment includes both celebrating the successes and sharing in the hurts of others. My temptation is to turn those around, though. I want to share in their successes and celebrate their hurts sometimes. But contentment allows us to celebrate others' success and to share in their hurt. Now, <clears throat> There's a lie that comes with this, and all of us struggle with this. This is kind of how we started the day, and here's the lie. Well, I can't celebrate you and be content with me. How can I be content having an overnight at Irwin Park camping when you're off the Australian outback? Like, can't, is that even possible to celebrate someone's success and still be content with where I am? The lie is that I can't do that. If you have what I want, then I can't be content. And either we both have it or neither of us have it because it doesn't feel like I can have contentment there. And this is where it's dangerous. And I don't know about you, but when you're scrolling through social media, 
If you're honest, where does your heart go? Are you secretly rejoicing in other people's suffering? Or are you able to share in their suffering? Are you able to celebrate their success or do you secretly resent their success? One of the hardest things to to really grasp onto, and I think this is just changing the way that we think, it's one of the reasons this is a process to contentment, is that someone else's gain doesn't rob me. Someone else's gain doesn't rob me, but to change the way I think about that takes work. So back to our original question. How do I enjoy the life I have instead of looking over my shoulders at the life other people have? Paul tells us, I don't want you to just find joy where you are. I want you to sustain joy where you are. And that takes getting to the place of contentment where joy thrives the most. Where circumstances will change, but contentment remains. How do you get there? Well, sustained joy, he reminds us, is only found in Jesus. And I will be tempted to get more. I will be tempted to be different, to find different circumstances, better circumstances. I'll be tempted to achieve this or to acquire that. I'll be tempted to compare my life to someone else. And every time I come back to, oh yeah, but sustained joy only comes from Jesus. And recognizing who he is and that he's in charge and he has me here. And he is with me here. Somehow, some way, he's going to use it to advance his gospel. Paul came to a place that he learned contentment when he learned to trust God no matter the circumstances. It turns out the joy you want, that I want, is found in a who, not a what. It took Paul years. It'll probably take us years. But Paul wanted Jesus' followers to know not to ask things, not to chase other things, asking them to give what only Jesus can give. That mindset transformed him, and it can transform us too. So let me give you these questions as we close. Number one, do you have joy where you are today? Not where you wish you were or where you hope to be, but where you are right here, right now. With that situation that's heavy on your mind, do you have joy here? And if not, what's preventing your joy? It might even become a prayer. God, would you help me see what's preventing my joy? I know it's not one of these lies. I know it's not that I want more. I know it's not uh, by having something different or something better or, or comparing my life or, or achieving something. I know none of those things ultimately will give me joy. So God, what is it that I am tempted to believe that's preventing me? From having joy. He'll answer that prayer as we ask him. And then number three, this is a real honest question. What is your gut reaction to others' success and to others' suffering? In a conversation, in a phone call, in a social media post, what's your reaction to others' success and to others' suffering? And then I just want to ask you to fill in this blank. When you are tempted to find joy through more, different, better, 
achieving, comparing. When you're tempted, to, and you will be because you're human like me, I'm going to continue to be tempted through these things to stop and remember, oh, the joy I really want, it is only found in Jesus. And everything else is a mirage. Everything else is fool's gold. Everything else is temporary. The joy that I want is only found in Jesus. I love what Augustine said. He prayed back in the fourth century, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And our hearts are so restless and fickle and we keep trying to allow them to find rest in things that aren't capable of holding that weight. Only Jesus. We sang that song earlier today that Ryan led us through. I love that song by Horatio Spafford. It's one of my favorite hymns where someone who had lost it all, almost like Job himself, in losing his children and losing his business, comes to a place where he can say, those sorrows like sea billows roll. Oh God, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well. Not with my circumstances, but with my soul. An inward change, no matter what's going on externally, that's different. And Paul says, that's where you find joy. Right where you are. Horatio Spafford learned that. Augustine learned that. The Apostle Paul learned that. And my prayer is that we would learn that. To find joy not where we want to be or hope to be. Wish we were. Resent that we aren't there. But instead where we are. That contentment would flood our soul so that joy can grow. Because we will trust in the only source of joy. Jesus Christ himself. I think that is why that song has resonated with millions of people for more than 100 years is that we all desire this contentment that Paul talks about. But few find it because it's a process, it's work, it takes time. May we do the work for the joy that can be ours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so, so much for reminding me, reminding us that even though we're tempted to think that circumstances, if they were improved, that we would have joy. Or if my life were like so-and-so's, I would have joy. Or if I achieved this, then I would have joy. Or if I just had more, I would have joy. But instead to remember, none of those things could ever give me lasting joy. God, you have me where you want me for now. And you have me in a place where I can have joy but it will only come from you. And God, for all the heavy hearts that are in this room with whatever each person is carrying today, I pray they would more than ever before lean on you, more than ever before stop asking other things to give what only you can and that we would trust in you just like Paul did no matter where we find ourselves, that we would be able to say, oh God, right here, I find contentment through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And we will give you the glory for that peace, for that contentment, and for that joy. 
To you be the glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.